Troy Anthony Bells lives and works in Adelaide. The self-described queer Aboriginal is a descendant of the Jaron people from the Northern Territory. He also has Irish ancestry. He's an artist, curator and writer and formerly course coordinator of Aboriginal cultures, comparative Indigenous studies and Indigenous philosophy at the University of South Australia. Troy Anthony's practice has been subject to 17 solo exhibitions and numerous group exhibitions, performances and publications. And he's joining us on NITV Radio. Hello and welcome. Hello, it's good to be here. Great to have you. So, Troy Anthony, can you please tell us a bit more what are you up to these days? Right, well, quite a lot. I've kind of, um, in the last couple of years, my um, exhibition practice seems to have taken off after all of those years of working. Um, and at the moment, I, I have a, an exhibition in Handorf um, in South Australia, which is on Paramount Country, and it's called Nomenclature Handorf. Mm-hmm. What can we imagine? Well, um, it's basically a, a fairly large installation of textile works, and they don't really look so much like textiles, because in fact, each work is two paintings that I have cut up, one in long ways and one short ways, and then I've woven the back. So they're large weavings, but they're also paintings. And then over the top of the paintings, I've embroidered uh, the names of the Aboriginal country or the Aboriginal peoples in which the, the country is accredited to. So, you know, each of the, the weavings have both the name, German name for place, as well as the non-German name for place. And so with the Aboriginal name as well, you've kind of got all three names all within the one image. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't, not, I'm not so sure if it's about reconciliation, but what it does is really acknowledge that A, the naming of something is a, um, you know, it, it's a synthetic act, and also that um, it kind of acknowledges sort of multiple histories and multiple stories that all are part of the story of country. So yeah, it kind of holds all of those stories literally in suspension by weaving them. Mm-hmm. You had a fellowship and you visited Berlin to work there as well. So was this inspired by your time in Berlin or was it something you've been always interested in? Well, actually, it very much was inspired by my trip to Berlin. I was the recipient, as you say, of the inaugural Guildhouse Fellowship in South Australia. And Berlin, I've been to quite a few times. And, the, and I went just prior to the the pandemic happened. So obviously the timing was, uh, at least for me, just in the right time, because obviously if that happened a bit later, I wouldn't have been able to go. But what interests me about Berlin in particular is how um, how a lot of the history, including traumatic and horrendous history, is somehow woven within the public space. So you get that feeling like like I, I do as an Aboriginal person and certainly as a, a person descendant of stolen generations, that kind of that feeling of knowing that there's been history on land or on country or even within a, a building that I, I, I walk upon. So, yeah, I, I found that, that connection really inspiring. And I love Germany and Berlin in particular because they do kind of own those, you know, so to speak, those, those kind of histories and find ways to kind of live with them currently with modern life. So, so yeah, it was very, very much inspired by the trip to Berlin. And it is kind of interesting because in South Australia in particular, there were a lot of German names. And so 
the idea was literally on my doorstep. I just kind of hadn't put it together really until that trip to Berlin. That sounds very interesting. Is it something you're going to keep on exploring or do you think like, okay, this is one theme and then I can move on to other? Um, well, I suppose like all people, and I realise that, you know, I, art in some ways is about the self, but I do realise that um, it's also, it's relatable and about other people too. So, you know, I, I have that kind of mantra that, well, that might be okay for you, but what's in it for everyone else? They're paying for the ticket. So those themes of monuments and themes of memorial um, are themes that tend to, I guess, weave through a lot of my practice. Um, so I certainly will be working further with those themes, but I'm sure it will manifest in different aesthetics, different materials. I try not to, to replicate the uh, same idea actually did slightly different ideas but with the same material I always try and move on and, and come up with a different aesthetic a different kind of brand if you like for each body of work mm. so that's kind of a, a yes and no to that to that question <laughs> or in between it was actually another question I had and maybe this is like a bit of a chicken and egg question but how do you decide how to approach an idea or a theme how do you decide okay I have this theme what means of art I'm going to use or do you have the means first and then kind of join it with with a theme yeah it's it's usually both kind of occur at once and it might sound really corny and by corny I don't, don't mean my kind of white partner I don't know that's that's about might be um that's uh kind of slang for our Aboriginal languages down south here mm -hmm. but um yeah I kind of tend to sort of a you know head full of ideas all the time and then when I either when I travel or when I'm asleep, they kind of fuse together and I work it out. So somehow I work that out in my kind of subconsciousness, like when I'm kind of bothered about it, I'll wake up and I'll have the solution. And I suppose that kind of idea is relatable for a lot of people when they're, if they're kind of, they're stressed or they're going through some sort of working trauma at work or they've got some complicated email that they have to do. It tends to um, kind of, if you give things a bit of space, they can sometimes kind of piece together. And for me, that piecing together seems to happen somewhere between four and eight in the morning. A little bit like with um, those people who have um, computers, you know, you, you, you put them to sleep and they kind of repair all those sort of loose ends. I think my brain works like that. <laughs> That's awesome. And do you usually know the means you're using or is it something you decide, okay, I'm going to use this and I have to first learn how to do it and then I use it? Or is it like, are you picking from things you already know? Um, again, it's a bit of both, and I kind of like to expand on what I use. But I, I suppose a really important distinction of, about each of the bodies of work is, is I, I use something that I'm sure some of your listeners might might know, but it's something we call material language. So it's the idea that, say, with these, um, say, with these sort of weaving paintings, if you like, I'd made the decision that that the materials were all synthetic. So therefore, when I was, uh, and I'd only use synthetic materials, no natural fibres in that. So that kind of idea, sort of poetry for the naming of things, which is a synthetic act. Also in weaving in particular, because you've got the, uh, you know, the, the long threads and the short threads and you, you weave them together, in weaving, that's called the warp and the weft. And so, so poetically, the warp and the weft literally hold tension together. So that idea of tension then kind of is a, is a good metaphor for those ideas. 
So yeah, in every single occasion, I always kind of really consider the, the, the history of the materials. It's kind of a social application. And also sometimes it's, you know, it's of other works that have been made because I, I know that when people see things that we form relationships to other things. So I try and be as conscious as I possibly can of all of those kind of possibilities and all of the ways that people see things. And they all inform the decision-making for, for what materials I make around what idea. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of weaving, you will be actually teaching a workshop for children and it will be painting and weaving. So can you please tell us more? Yeah, delighted to. It's going to be really fun. So it's it's going to be on the 1st of May. I think most of the, it's a, it's a free workshops and I think most of them are kind of, they're just starting to book out very quickly. But I guess if they book out, um, you know, we, we may do another session. But they're really simple. It's a really simple idea. Yeah, because the idea of weaving two things together, and in, in my case, I've, you know, I've woven place names, but, but you could also do images of, say, fruit or vegetables or plants or animals, or it might be colours. And, you know, even the idea that, you know, a kid might like, um, might like apples, but they don't like broccoli. So what happens when you kind of weave an image of each of them together? You know, you get something new and maybe kids can overcome their fear and their taste for things by playing with those images and, and forming their own images from them. So, yeah, I just think that's a really simple cognitive idea for cognitive growth. And so people can learn to appreciate different things by merging them together and, and see what kind of comes out of that. Hmm, and that's brilliant. Is there any age you're who can come or anybody is welcome? Um, it's, it's most ages. I, I, I'm kind of targeting some workshops, particularly for little children. So probably up to, you know, from like five to 11. And with those ones, because there's weaving involved as well, it'll be very, very simple weaving. So it might be, you know, like if you think of a game of noughts and crosses, so you've just got a couple of lines and they join them together. And then for the bigger children, We can have um, ones where there's where the weavings are a little bit more complex, but the idea really is is the same. It's about kind of um, merging maybe two things that kids like, or maybe something that they like and they don't like, and then kind of you know creating something new from that and having fun along the way. If any of our listeners are in South Australia, they can bring their kids on the first of May to the Handorf Gallery, and they can yep, attend this workshop. That's right. And, um, yeah, it'd be great if they can book first. Um, I think if you go to the Handorf Academy website, there's a little kind of um, a booking sheet there and you can just um, you can just book. It's free, but, you know, we, we need to know how many people are going to be there so we've got the right kind of amount of supervision. Otherwise, um, yeah, and also that helps me handle it and give, um, and give kids the right amount of kind of um, attention and supervision as well. But, mm -hmm. yeah, people are more than welcome, so please do that. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, can we speak quickly about Deadly Mimicry? That's the title of your PhD. So I'm really interested to know what actually that is. Yeah, so I guess if I break it down into terms, so the term deadly, is, as we all sort of know, uh, I guess it's got a dual meaning or a multiple meaning. So deadly, we say you know, something that's really cool or fantastic, but deadly also means something scary or something, you know, um, something to be cautious of. So the idea of mimicry then, if you sort of translate that to, um, to Australia, it's this idea that by importing things into Australia, even very simple things like our legal system, so that's literally being dragged from the United Kingdom here 
and then that becomes the default setting for culture. So I'm interested in those kind of those places in between when things are literally kind of dragged from one culture to another culture and trying to unpack kind of what they mean. So that's kind of a form of dragging and sometimes that can actually be really liberating and then sometimes it, you know, it isn't. Um, but in any case, there's still that kind of that literal dragging that's occurred. So it could be about gender, but it's also really about the, you know, the dragging of cultural, the dragging of image, the dragging of, you know, even of sound release, you know, which we do in say, you know, like karaoke or, or, or sampling in music. So yeah, I'm interested in how that, how dragging traverses between different Aboriginal cultures, but also between non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal cultures and all that sort of interplay that happens. So I think it's a super exciting space. So um, yeah, I, I, I love working within those parameters, if you like. Hmm. Sounds really interesting. Well, that's unfortunately all we have space for today, but thank you so much, Troy Anthony, for taking time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Oh, thank you, Saka. Really appreciate it. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 